had the experience recently of being significantly jet-lagged. Have you had this experience where you just start doing things that don't quite make sense because you're out of alignment with time? You know, uh, noon seems like a very reasonable time to go to bed. You know, 7 p.m., it's time to eat breakfast. I'm drinking coffee when it's time to go to sleep. I'm, I'm waking up when it's time to go to bed. And I realize the great embarrassment that can come when being out of alignment with time, showing up bleary-eyed to meetings, trying to catch up, trying to, trying to tell time properly. And when you're out of alignment with it, it can, can cause a certain amount of embarrassment. And the, the reality this morning that we're stepping into is this, that that's not only the case in trying to, to read the hour and the minute hand, but it's learning to, to tell time the sense of, of what, what time is it? What season are you in? What time is it for the people around you and the, the spaces that you're stepping into? We can be jet lagged emotionally, relationally, Stepping into spaces and responding in ways that are out of an alignment with time that can cause embarrassment, if not wounding, pain, if we're not careful. And this morning we're going we're gonna to study the book of Ecclesiastes together, chapter 3. And chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes is going to introduce us, it's going to challenge us and invite us into this idea of, of being a people who know how to tell time. And in order for this word to find purchase in our soul, we've got to lay a few, a few pieces of groundwork. The first is this. The author of the book of Ecclesiastes is a man who calls himself the preacher or the teacher. The word in the original language is kohelet. It means the assembler of a group of people. And he then teaches or instructs wisdom. And so this is a man like the farmer's insurance commercials who knows a few things because he's seen a few things. That's who we're dealing with. I believe that the Kohelet probably wore, he probably wore orthopedic shoes, and he shuffled a little bit. We've talked about him once before in this room, and we're being reintroduced to him. And he's going to teach us about, about wisdom in real life. He calls it life under the sun. By under the sun, what he means is east of Eden. Life in a broken world. Life in the real world with all the varnish taken off. This this author of Ecclesiastes is telling us the truth. And the truth sometimes is uncomfortable and challenging. And today, the truth that this Kohelet is introducing us to is the truth about what does it mean to tell time, to pay attention to the season that we're in. And so by way of introduction, we're going to look at the famous poem at the start of chapter 3. And then we're going to allow that to inform the way that we, we study the whole of the chapter together. So I'm going to invite you to turn your attention with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And we're going to start by just giving a brief look to verses 1 through 8. And just before I read those verses, would you permit me to remind you what the prophet Isaiah says about the scriptures? He says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. This means that we as a people would be really wise to pay attention. Let's look at Ecclesiastes 3, starting in verse 1. For everything, there is a season. There is a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A 
time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek. There's a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence. A time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Can you feel it as we read this poem? The reality that if we don't know what time it is, we will find ourselves into some embarrassing and some painful moments. If we are stepping into a time that is marked out for mourning and for weeping and for grief, and we show up telling jokes and introducing levity, we will cause pain and heartache for the people around us because we are, we are emotionally jet-lagged. Or it might be that it's a time to celebrate. You're at, the, at a friend's wedding and the DJ starts the tunes and everybody floods the dance floor. But because you're in your head or in your sadness or in the season that you've been in, you sit in the corner with your arms crossed thinking, I'm not up for dancing. This is a foolish, relationally jet-lagged moment because we're missing that it's, it's time to celebrate. Or it could be that uncomfortable moment where it's time to just stop talking. And you don't. You know, sometimes we're relationally jet-lagged. We miss the moment where this is the moment, husband, that you just quit talking. Right? And we just keep going. Or it's the moment of heartache and injustice when it demands someone to stand up and speak and there we sit silently because we don't know how to tell time. Do you feel the weight of it? This chapter is introduced to us with a season and then another season, and a season and another season, a season and another season with the invitation that if we will grow to be wise men and women, we will begin to understand how to tell time. But what I want us to see as we press through this chapter is that just after this poem, the Kohelet begins to explain why it is so critical that we learn to be relationally attuned and aware of what's going on because there are several implications that flow out of this poem and the rest of the chapter. And those are the, those are the realities that I'd like for us to explore together. Four implications Four things that will flow out of the reality of us learning how to tell time. And so the invitation this morning is that we must learn to tell time. And I'm going to show you why we have to learn this lesson. Are you up for it? Okay. Let's jump in together. The first reason that we must learn to tell time is that when we learn, when we learn this skill, this capacity, we begin to fear God truly. We begin to submit to God in all of his godness which incidentally is, is not always easy for us as people. Let me show it to you in the text. In verse 11b, it says this. Also he, that's God, has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning until the end. 
So you hear this. He has just told us that we are helplessly seasonal, bouncing back and forth between all these seasons. And then he's as if he injects a little bit of tension into the text and says, and by the way, eternity is in the hearts of humanity. Whether you're an atheist or a strong believer or anywhere on the spectrum, every human being down in the core of who they are knows they are made for more than this, more than life under the sun. But then there's this tension because he's saying we are seasonal, but we know that God is doing something that is eternal, that we can't quite find the contours of, we can't quite make sense of. And then he presses further in verses 14 and 15 and says this, I perceived that whatever God does, it endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people will fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. You see, the invitation is that as we begin to come into contact with our limitations our seasonal realities, and that is thrust into the backdrop of God and all of his godness and his eternality, that should humble us and cause us to fear him, to have awe and reverence at how big he is and the fact that we can't quite, we can't quite work the contours, we can't find the bounds or the limitations of God. But you know what it actually does, if we're honest? It doesn't cause us to submit to God and fear God. If I'm honest about what it does in my heart, it causes me to want to manage and to manipulate God. Because this poem is very uncomfortable. Can we just be honest about this? Do you, if we were just to read this poem and believe it, what it means is this, God has allotted a time to die. God has marked out seasons that are supposed to be about tearing down, about weeping, about mourning, about hating, about war. And all of a sudden we, we go, well, I'm kind of more comfortable with a one-dimensional God that I can kind of boil down and carry around like my rabbit's foot. And he delivers blessing. He delivers season of joy to season of joy to season of joy. I like birth, not death. I like celebration and dancing, not mourning and grief. And all of a sudden we start to try to wrestle God back down to a place where we go, I don't know about seasons like that. I know about seasons like this, God. I like the major chord. I like celebration and joy. And God's saying, I'm very comfortable playing on the pentatonic scale. I know the black keys. I play songs with dark notes that create beauty. I am God in all of my godness, even over the seasons that you want to avoid. You know, quite frequently in the counseling room with men and women that I'm sitting with and listening to, most of the anxiety and the fear and the heartache that is generated in our souls comes from trying to manage God and make him one-dimensional. Trying to avoid the season that he's calling us into or trying to cling to the season that we're being pressed out of. That we ultimately just don't trust God to be God over all the seasons of life. But when we begin to learn to tell time, we fear him. I remember the first time I was invited into the hospital room with a dying man. He was an older man gasping for each breath. Surrounded by his adult children. 
I had just met with the doctor, and the doctor had told me his time is very short. But I walked into the room, and it was so disorienting because his, his family was all around him, and they were laughing, and they were telling jokes. They had been led to this moment by bad theology. A name it, claim it, prosperity gospel. God only exists to bless and to deliver abundance in the ways that we define it. And so they were saying, we know We know that there's going to be healing here. We know it. They're praying and believing. And the struggle was in that moment, I fully affirm our God is a God that can heal. But if we don't know how to tell time, we will introduce folly and heartache into the system. And as I sat in this room, I was feeling the tension. And I finally, I took the oldest son out in the hallway, several years older than me. And I looked at him with tears in my eyes and I said, Your dad is dying, and he's gasping for every breath because he knows if the next one is his last one, it will destroy all of you. You need to go in and say goodbye and give him permission to die. You see, there are seasons, and sometimes it's the season to die. And if we don't know how to tell time, We begin to manage and to manipulate God and wrestle with him and say, no, no, I only like half the poem. I like this side, not that side. Thank you very much. And here's God going, do you trust me enough? Do you fear me enough to submit to my hand and to step into the season that I'm calling you into? I will meet you there. And all of the struggle, sadness, and tears, I will meet you there. But will you step into the season that I'm calling you into? You see, the first thing that happens when we learn to tell time is that we will begin to truly fear God. We will let him be God in all of his godness. But that's not all. When we learn to tell time, we will also be able to endure injustice. We will endure the heartache and the struggle of our stories. Look back at verse 16 and 17 with me. It says this, Moreover, I saw under the sun, once again, in the broken world east of Eden, under the sun, That in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wickedness and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. He's still wrestling with how to tell time. But here he's talking about the wickedness that we find in the place of justice and the place of righteousness. In essence, what the Kohelet is saying is this. I've hung out with judges, and I've hung out with pastors, and I've got news. They're all sinners. He said, I've been to courtrooms, and I've been to churches, and even there, the grimy fingerprints of sin are present. He's saying it's, it's all flawed, and it's all broken. This is what it means to live under the sun. And he says, but there's a time coming. You see, when we confront injustice, we oftentimes wrestle with one of two options. We either become pessimistic and throw our hands up and go, well, yeah, the world's just broken, so I'm, I'm done with it. Or we become social justice warriors that are so revved up, and we're going to go fix everything and make it right. And here in the midst of it is a different way, the way of wisdom that says, we put our hand to the plow and we keep our eye to the sky. He says, we recognize that it's flawed, but we press in where we can. If we learn to tell time, we will know how to endure injustice. I'm reminded of Martin Luther King Jr. on the night before he was assassinated. He 
He delivered a famous and prophetic and timely speech about going to the mountaintop. You familiar with this one? I want to just read you an excerpt from it, but what I want you to hear, what I want you to listen for is his ability to tell time. He has his hand to the plow and he has his eye to the sky. Listen, we aren't going to let mace stop us. We are masters in our nonviolent movement in disarming police forces. They don't know what to do. I've seen them so often. I remember Birmingham, Alabama, when we were there in that majestic struggle. We would move out to the 16th Street Baptist Church every day, and by the hundreds we would move out. And Bull Connor would tell them to send the dogs, and they would. But we went before the dogs singing, ain't nobody going to turn us around now. Bull Connor would then say, turn the fire hoses on. And, and I, would, I told you the other night, Bull Connor didn't know history. He knew a kind of physics that somehow didn't relate to the trans physics that we knew about. That was the fact that there was a certain kind of fire that no water can put out. And we went before the fire hoses. We had known water. If we were Baptist or some other denominations, we had been immersed in it. And if we were Methodist or others, we had been sprinkled. But either way, we knew water and they couldn't stop us. Do you hear it? Hand to the plow. But then he goes on to say this. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I have been to the mountaintop, eye on the sky. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go to the mountain. I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And so I'm happy. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. This is the wisdom of a man who knows how to tell time, who is willing to endure injustice and press in with his hand on the plow, yet has his eye over the sky. He realizes that I must endure and wait for the one who truly tells time. You see, when, we, when we're starting to understand the seasons, we, we fear God. We endure injustice, but that's not all. We also are able to enjoy the moment. We begin to be able to enjoy the moment that we're in when we can tell time. Hear this in verse, verse 10. It says this. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Do you hear it? He says, that it's interesting, this phrase was used in chapter 1 in verse 13. The author of Ecclesiastes there said, I have seen the busyness of man and it's raw. That's the Hebrew word. It means evil or unhappy. He says, I've seen what men are busy with, what women are busy with, and it's evil and it's unhappy. But here, he says, I have seen the busyness of man and in its time, it's beautiful. He's saying, once I started to learn to tell time, I could begin to enjoy it. I wasn't just raging against it. Once we begin to understand that life is seasonal and we understand what reality actually is like, we can begin to enjoy the moments along the way. In verse 12 and 13, he says it like this, I perceive that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. And then at the conclusion of verse 22, he says this, 
So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? You see, as we begin to learn to tell time, we can enjoy these moments because everything is beautiful in its time. Reminded of an article in November of 2006 in Reuters about a 65-year-old woman in Amsterdam. Her husband had died a year previously. And just after his death, she began to meticulously plan her own funeral. And a year later, she went to visit the cemetery where he had been laid to rest. And there was his gravestone with his name and birth date and date of death. And then there was her name that had been etched in with birth date and a a blank for the year of death. And she had her will that had been prepared tucked in her purse. She laid down on the grass next to where her husband had been laid. And she, she breathed her last. It made international news as people reveled in the beauty of even this sad story. Death in the context of relationship and love and a woman who could tell time. People said, beautiful, sad, yes, because death is always marked by sadness, but beautiful in its own right. There's a certain sense in which when we begin to understand the seasons and the times, even death itself can have a certain beauty and dignity to it. And the reality is that this text is saying that when we, when we stop trying to control all the things that we can't control, we can finally enjoy the things that we can enjoy. There's this, this beautiful reality that when we learn to tell time, we will start to enjoy these simple pleasures. We will stop let it, letting what we can't control rob us of the things that we can enjoy. I experienced that even this week. This was a, a heavy week pastorally. And that just happens sometimes. That's not a complaint. That's just a reality. And there were moments in the midst of the week where I felt like I, I might go under in the midst of all this, trying to come up and take a deep breath. But then there was this beautiful reality of waking up yesterday morning. It's cold in Houston. I could see my breath a little bit early in the morning. I made pancakes with my family. We sat down, the five of us, we prayed and we ate pancakes. We went outside and we pretended it was the Super Bowl. My nose was cold. My kids were laughing and we were alive together. You know, there's something, I I think early on as I began to be serious about wanting to be a disciple who makes disciples, I made a mistake and I started to take myself seriously. Because it's serious work, I thought I should be serious all the time. And because I was carrying heavy things with people, I thought I should be heavy. I felt like in order to honor God and honor people, well, I'm just going to be real serious. And there's my kids tugging on my shirt and go, Daddy, play with me. And I'm, I've got too many serious things to do. What a tragic reality that some of us walk around in our stress and anxiety trying to manage all the things that we can't manage. And as a result, we miss the things that we could enjoy. You see, the invitation is to learn to tell time and don't miss when it's the moment to make pancakes and play in the Super Bowl. You see, God is saying, learn the seasons that you're in so that you can enjoy the moments. You see, if we begin to fear God, we will endure injustice and we'll be able to enjoy the moments. But the last reality is this, we will finally be able to humbly hope. You see, telling the seasons, telling the time properly will deliver to us both humility and hope. Let me show it to you in the text as we close. In verses 18 through 21, it says this, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man, 
that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. Let's just pause right there. What he's saying is this. Death is the great equalizer under the sun. That we are no different than the beasts. We are actually dependent upon oxygen to be held together. We have to have our next breath to continue to live. And one day there will be a final great exhale. And ultimately we are no different than the animals in the sense that we will exhale, we're dependent on the oxygen, and we will return to the dust. Under the sun, we are the same. He's saying, isn't that humbling? Isn't that humbling? To recognize that we are dust dependent upon the next breath of oxygen? Yet, as he continues to press, what he brings us is to the precipice of hope, the recognition and the need for hope. Hear here what he does in 20 and 21. He says, all go to one place and all are from the dust and to dust all return. Who knows, hear this, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward or the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. There's this interesting thing that Kohelet has done here. The wisdom teacher has done. He's brought us to this precipice. He said, we all have this level playing field. We all are going to die. And he says, and by the way, who knows what's on the other side of the sun? And do you see what he's done? He's created in us need, urgency. We need someone who knows what's on the other side of death. We need someone who knows what's on the other side of the sun. He's brought us to the place where we are in desperate need for a greater Kohelet. And praise God, there is one. There is a greater wisdom teacher who came and walked the earth and assembled crowds and spoke truth and wisdom over them. He was one who knew how to tell time perfectly. He came in the fullness of time. And over and again during his ministry said, my time has not come, my time has not come, my time has not come. And on the night that he was going to be betrayed, Jesus Christ turned and he looked at his followers and he said, my time is now. And do you know what he did when his time had come? He feared God. He wrestled in the garden and said, could this cup please pass from me, but not my will, yours be done. He humbled himself under the hand of God in the season of his own death because God and all of his godness stood in authority even over this season. And in that moment, he endured injustice. He was stripped down, beaten, and pinned to a tree with his hand to the plow and his eye to the sky. He conquered even death itself. He took your sin and your folly and your missteps and all of the injustices of the system, and he buried them in a grave. He broke the back of sin, Satan, and death. And then he rose again. He's alive. And Jesus stands over time saying, I have conquered. I have conquered and I have delivered life so that you can have moments of joy now and forevermore. I have seen over the sun and what I have brought is hope from the other side of death. Death doesn't tell your story. Your life is not contained under the sun. And as we sit at the feet of the greater Kohelet, what we hear is this. Brothers and sisters, You must learn to tell time. You must sit at my feet and learn to tell time, says King Jesus. 
And what he's inviting us into is the journey of truly fearing God. Not resisting the brief season that he's inviting us into, but fearing God who stands over it. Enduring the injustice of the moment while celebrating the moments of his grace that are dripping through it all while we together stand with hope awaiting the one who is over the sun. If we are going to live wisely and well in the world, we must, we must learn to tell time. Amen? Let me pray for us. Our Father, I repent of the ways that I don't believe you. I believe that this life is is what matters most and for that reason I cling to it and I demand of it to deliver my joy and my fullness. Would you forgive me and help me to to bend beneath your hand to honor and to fear you and to trust you as God over all the seasons of my life, knowing that my ultimate joy and fullness, that all the things that I'm trying to make this world deliver ultimately has been delivered by your son over the son. And so I pray that we would be a people who humbly hope in the greater Kohelet and his completed work. And that because of the power that provides, that we would be a people that tell time. It's in his precious and his powerful name that we pray. Amen.